Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Angelina Jolie's recent announcement that she'd received a double mastectomy to reduce her chances of cancer highlights a series of decisions we all may be facing in this age of genetic testing. Do I want to know? Whom should I tell? What should I do with the information? What about treatment? Should I take a chance on passing on genetic problems? What about privacy and insurance? Dr. Robert Klitzman addresses these concerns in his book, Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. Dr. Klitzman is professor of clinical psychiatry, director of the Masters of Bioethics program, and co-founder of the Center for Bioethics at Columbia University Medical Center. He joins me for the hour to answer your questions about genetic testing. We'd especially love to hear from you if you're contemplating such testing or if you've had such testing. The number is 1-800-826-1495. Support for Access Utah comes from Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Angelina Jolie's recent announcement that she had received a double mastectomy to reduce her chances of cancer highlights a series of decisions we all may be facing in this age of genetic testing. Do I want to know? Whom should I tell? What should I do with this information? Should I take a chance on passing on genetic problems? What about privacy and insurance? Dr. Robert Klitzman addresses these concerns in his book, Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. Dr. Klitzman is professor of clinical psychiatry, director of the Masters of Bioethics program, and co-founder of the Center for Bioethics at Columbia University Medical Center. And he joins me now from uh, New York. He's going to be answering your questions about genetic testing. Uh, Dr. Klitzman, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is a, uh, a very interesting topic, uh, and continuing so, as genetic tests are developed, uh, I would guess, every day, regularly. That's correct. There are more and more. We can now test people for thousands of genes, but as you say, the question is, uh, do we want the information? Which information do we want? Which is useful? Which is not useful? To whom, et cetera? And you interviewed uh, some, what is it, 64 people? Yes. For, for the book, uh, facing a, a variety of, of uh, possible diseases, including Huntington's disease, I think breast cancer, and others. Yes, that's right. And I found a variety of things that surprised me, as you say, with uh, breast cancer. Uh, some women would say to me, you know, I always knew I shouldn't have stayed in that awful relationship all those years. And I'd say, why is that? And they'd say, well, that's why I have breast cancer. And I'd say, yeah, but you have the mutation for it. And they'd say, yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's a stress of that awful relationship that triggered it. Uh, or people would say, you know, it's that awful job that I always knew I shouldn't have stayed in. So how we understand genetic information is very complex. Of course, it may be uh, for many people uh, a combination of genetics and environment uh, and other factors that lead to us having disease. It's not always straightforward. For some genetic mutations, there is a definite chance that you're extremely high likelihood you will get the disease. But for other mutations, it's maybe 50-50. And uh, you say that the, these people, the people you interviewed, uh, for whom there was a test, yeah. and some of them decided to get tested, some of them didn't, you say that, that, that uh, the issues they confront differ in several key ways from those patients or the disorders for which there are no good genetic tests exist. Uh, how so? Well, uh, so there are, as I say, uh, said about uh, four or 5,000 uh, genetic 
mutations that we know are strongly associated with disease. Then there are other diseases like diabetes that we don't really understand the genetics very well of. Uh, Similarly, things like autism. Uh, For some uh, kids with autism, there is undoubtedly something genetic, and we've begun to to find a few mutations that are associated with, you know, maybe 5% of cases, but uh, you could not have those mutations and get autism or not have those mutations and get, or or vice versa, Uh, have the mutation and not get the disease or not have the mutation get the disease. Uh, And so particularly for common diseases, uh, we're just beginning to understand these areas, but there are companies that are marketing genetic tests and increasingly many of us will have genetic testing done just when we go to the doctor's office because the cost of sequencing all of our DNA, the three billion so-called letters or molecules that make a blueprint for each of us, the cost of sequencing all that is, is getting close to about $1,000 per person. It used to be $100 million 10 years ago per person. So I would predict that in 10 years when you go to see your doctor, he or she will have your complete uh, genome in front of you and can say, well, I see here if you have the mutation for breast cancer or if you carry a mutation associated with autism or if you have a mutation associated with Alzheimer's, do you want this information? Uh, And if so, the doctor will press the button and tell you what your odds are of these various conditions. Uh, And that can be very scary. There are also concerns about discrimination. Uh, So the uh, Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act was passed by Congress a few years ago and prevents discrimination for health insurance, but you can be discriminated against if you want life insurance or disability insurance or long-term care insurance. Those insurance companies may require testing or ask, have you or anyone in your family ever been genetically tested? If so, what are the results? And they could decide based on the fact that your mother has the breast cancer mutation that they should not insure you, for instance. So these are all concerns that we need to think about and that we need to all begin to talk about. And I think it's great that you're addressing these issues on your show today. And, of course, here in Utah, we've uh, it's, it's hotbed of uh, genealogical information. Yeah. And, and, and uh, uh, medical researchers here have uh, long been uh, marrying that type of information with medical information. I remember 20 years ago or more, my mother and her sisters were invited to the University of Utah to... Uh, participate in a study about breast cancer. So this this has been happening a long time in Utah. You talk about uh, potential dangers of having that information out there. For example, one man in the book, he can't prove this, but he feels like when he um, confided to a couple of people at work that he had been tested for a certain um, disease, uh, that he felt like with that information getting out there, he was passed over for promotion. Yes. That's another concern is that there's what I call subtle genetic discrimination that occurs, which is uh, people have told me, you know, I told my coworker, I shared a little office cubicle, I told her that I just found out I have the breast cancer mutation. And next thing she knows, when the boss retired and everyone assumed she would be appointed to be head of the department, she was passed over. She wasn't fired, but she wasn't promoted. And she said, I can't prove that it's because of the fact that I have this mutation, but that's what everyone thinks. Uh, and of course, you know, in a promotion decision, there are all kinds of decisions, all kinds of factors that get included. And I think that that kind of subtle discrimination will continue, and it may not be justified. That is, you can have the breast cancer mutation, and there's a 50% chance about that you'll never get breast cancer. Uh, and same with other diseases. Uh, breast cancer is one of the relatively more predictive mutations, but as I said, for autism, you may have a 
mutation, maybe there's a 5 or 10% chance you'll develop it, but we may treat those kids differently. If we know that they have a mutation that gives them an increased chance of getting autism, even if it's still a 90% chance that they won't get it. So it's partly because these statistics are complicated, but there's a lot of discrimination that can occur. And as you say, Utah has done a tremendous amount of terrific research on genetics, and it's important information, but we need to be careful what we do with it, how much we introduce it into our lives. Uh, the Supreme Court yesterday decided, for instance, that it's okay for police to take and store genetic information from uh, anyone who's arrested. Uh, that can help with a lot of things. Some people raise concerns about it. But more and more, uh, the point is we're going to see genetics entering our lives. And the, it, it seems, you know, you, you hear the, uh, uh, you know, yesterday we heard the reports of the dissenters, especially Justice Scalia, who, who you know, went postal yes. over this. Uh, and you can understand that, that point of view. You can understand both of them. But uh, that point of view, it's, it seems very invasive. Yes. Well, that's a question. Do we want government having genetic information about us, uh, having any kind of information about us? Uh, and uh, obviously, genetic information can help with tracking criminals. So if there's someone's arrested today and we have their genetics and there's a rape victim five, ten years from now and we have the evidence genetically of who did it, we can trace the information genetically and say this is the person who did it. Uh, so that could be very useful information to have. The question is, who else will have access to it? Uh, some uh, cities have suggested that they get the genetic information of every child born, and will just store it in a big computer somewhere. And other people are concerned, well, I don't know if I want the government knowing that I have these mutations. Uh, what if I apply for government jobs? Some people don't trust government to have information like that. What if it gets hacked into? Uh, so, again, I, uh, these are important issues that we all need to discuss. I think their key issue is if we do store it, who has access to it, et cetera. If, a, uh, if the military wants to get access to see, you know, for screening people who want to join the military, is that okay? Uh, for instance, I think these are all major questions. And uh, some hospitals, I read in the book, um, are routinely taking a DNA sample to store, and they're trying to establish biobanks. So this is another big and very important issue, thank you for raising it, is that there are many hospitals and medical centers now, when you walk in the door, they will take a sample of your blood to store, to, to uh, sequence and store your genetic information. Now, this could be very helpful for research and seeing which patients get a particular kind of cancer and what their genes are and which patients don't get that kind of cancer. Uh, it can help with targeting treatments. For instance, we may know for a particular condition that based on your genes that drug A is best for you and based on my genes, drug B is best for me uh, and at what doses. On the other hand, there are uh, people who are busy patenting genes and if we have a lot of information, we may be able to discover things and you can patent a genetic discovery as of now, though this too has recently become come up before the Supreme Court and companies are making a lot of money off of genetic patents. Uh, there are many questions about that as well. Uh, so, and then, of course, there are questions about uh, who else will have access to this. Uh, if you, if it's your genetic information is in a biobank and you apply for insurance, you may be asked that, and the insurance company may uh, ask to be able to have the information from the biobank and deny you insurance. Uh, so, I think we need to create laws and think about how best we need to store this information, what kind of safeguards we need, et cetera. 
And uh, in the future, I don't know if, if will we have any control at all. I mean, if you go to the hospital, go to the doctor, you know, you drop blood, what, whatever. It's it's just routine. But then, uh, I guess it would depend on the rules. The, the doctor could then take that. You have your DNA there. He could sequence your entire genome. You have that information stored just because you gave blood or whatever. Well, that's why this is a very important period to discuss these issues because how we set up these biobanks now. And I should say every hospital in the country or every major medical center in the country is trying to set one of these biobanks up. How we set this up now will determine our future. Uh, If we say we want to make sure there are certain restrictions, those are restrictions that will stay in place. Once you set one of these biobanks up, if you say uh, it's kind of unrestricted, that is that uh, any researcher or insurance company can have access to it, that, that will be the case. Uh, so I think that there are ways to uh, to have such information available so it helps us and doesn't hurt us. Uh, that is that we have uh, privacy protections. It's similar to on the Internet now, of course. Uh, many people are concerned that when you go to Google or Facebook, uh, people, government, whomever, can track you if they want. Uh, some people think that's fine. Some people resign themselves to it. Some people think that's bad. Now, you could, we could tell people, if you don't like it, just don't go to the hospital. But, of course, for many people, that's not an option. They're going to need to go to the hospital. Uh, so I think the key thing is that we think about what kind of uh, safeguards uh, we want to have in place. Now, people do worry about this. I know that reading in the book, uh, there was a couple of mothers who are running interference, as it were. The, the daughter didn't want to have the results of the test because that might, in fact, uh, that might affect rather insurance and such. So the mother offered to go get tested because you know that information would help the daughter decide whether or not she was at a higher risk. Yes. Yeah, so it's another key thing, as I describe in the book, in my my genes is that we're also each other's genes in a family. So if I find that I have a mutation for breast cancer, it means that my one of my parents has it and my siblings may have it. So that creates tensions because you find, unlike if I get my uh, cholesterol checked, uh, it tells me that I may have high cholesterol, low cholesterol, but doesn't say anything about my others in my family. With a uh, mutations, it's very different because usually mutations as for serious diseases come from someone else or are shared. Uh, so the problem is, as you describe, and as I talk about in the book, is that uh, within families there are often conflicts. So some one woman said, my sister keeps telling me that I have to go tested for breast cancer for the mutation because I have insurance and she doesn't. Uh, and uh, so it's covered for me, but I don't want it on my record. Or someone will say, you know, a woman will say, well, I keep telling my daughters they should be tested because I had breast cancer and I have the mutation, but they refuse to go. <laughs> so uh, these dynamics play out. Or, or daughters telling their mother, look, you, you know, you had breast cancer. Now you have to go and get tested because I want to know how much risk I'm at. Uh, so it's partly because of the way we have shaped insurance, uh, but it also is because it's shared information. And some, for some people to find out that information may not involve a lot of risks to them, uh, and it would involve a lot of risks for someone else to find out if uh, if they got in, uh, had the uh, mutation. So, uh, but that plays into family dynamics. Someone may not want to know. People say, you know, I keep telling my sister to be tested, but she just is denying it. She puts her head in the sand. Uh, and so it brings up a lot of intrafamilial issues as well. And uh, some parents that resist testing for themselves... Uh, because they don't want to, as they put it, cast a shadow over their, you know, teenager's life. Yes, exactly. So uh, there's a lot of problems. Uh, for instance, 
if a um, uh, uh, let's say that I find out that I have breast can- the breast cancer gene, do I tell my 14-year-old daughter or my 15-year-old daughter or 16-year-old daughter? And uh, some people say that they only found out that they had a genetic mutation in the family when they were about to get married or they're about to have kids. Uh, for instance, with Huntington's disease, someone said, well, it's only when we're about to have kids that my mother said, you know, Uncle Jack didn't just fall down the stairs. He had Huntington's disease, and you may have it, and your kids may have it. Uh, and it raises a problem with disclosure. So if you're dating someone, do you tell them on the first date, you know, we, by the way, we have this um, lethal mutation in my family, and my mother died of it, and I may die of it, and our kids may die of it. If you say that on a first date, there may not be a second date. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, if you wait too long, so, uh, someone may say, well, why didn't you tell me this early? We've been dating for months. Uh, so this is very difficult information to deal with, uh, and increasingly, though, we're all going to be given such information about ourselves. We each have uh, its estimated mutations for six uh, uh, bad diseases. Uh, we may die before those diseases take effect. We may have something else that, t- that affects us, etc. cetera. Uh, but we, you know, no one lives forever, and we have mutations for lots of things. Uh, and if we're given this information, we may ask uh, if you're dating someone you in the future, they may say to you, uh, well, let me see your genetics. I want to know, do we have the same mutations or different ones? Are we both carriers for cystic fibrosis? Uh, and that could be helpful to know that we need to, and people can screen embryos, for instance, so through pre-implantation genetic diagnosis before using in vitro fertilization or test two babies, we could uh, uh, see what embryos have certain mutations and not implant those into a woman. Uh, And many people think that's great. Many people think that that's playing with God and tampering with nature. Uh, And again, these are important issues uh, that uh, we need to think about. And and, then I examine in the book. We're talking with uh, Dr. Robert Klitzman on the program today. Very interesting questions that he treats in the book, Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. These are questions that we'll all have to face as uh, genetic testing, the science of genetic testing, advances. Such questions as, do I want to know? Whom should I tell? What should I do with this information? What about treatment? Should I take a chance on passing on genetic problems? What about privacy and insurance? Throwing out the questions to you as well, we'd love to hear your experience. Uh, Have you been tested? Uh, What did you decide to do with the information? Are you contemplating getting testing? And uh, what are you going to do with that information? Or perhaps you've thought about it and you don't want to get tested. We'd love to hear why. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Dr. Robert Klitzman is professor of clinical psychiatry, director of the Masters of Bioethics program, and co-founder of the Center for Bioethics at Columbia University Medical Center. And he's answering your genetic uh, testing questions back following the break. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Sticking to a regular exercise schedule isn't easy. After all, there are plenty of potential hindrances, time, boredom, injuries, and self-confidence. But these issues don't need to stand in your way. Consider practical strategies for overcoming common barriers to fitness. Squeeze in short walks throughout the day. If you don't have time for a full workout, don't sweat it. Shorter spurts of exercise, such as 10 minutes of walking spaced throughout the day, offer benefits too. Choose activities you enjoy. You'll be more likely to stay interested. 
Remember, anything that gets you moving counts. Exercise with friends, relatives, neighbors, or coworkers. You'll enjoy the camaraderie and the encouragement of the group. Schedule exercise as you would schedule an important appointment. Block off times for physical activity and make sure your friends and family are aware of your commitment. Whatever you decide to do, stick with it and remember why you're doing it. Your heart will thank you. This is Dana for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Dr. Robert Klitzman, author of an interesting book, Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. Dr. Klitzman is professor of clinical psychiatry, director of the Masters of Bioethics program, and co-founder of the Center for Bioethics at Columbia University Medical Center. This is a hot topic, of course, highlighted by Angelina Jolie's recent announcement that she'd had received a double mastectomy to reduce her chance of cancer. And uh, this highlights a series of decisions we all may be facing in this age of genetic testing, such questions as, do I even want to know? And if I do get tested, whom should I tell? What should I do with the information? Should I take a chance on passing on genetic problems? What about privacy and insurance? We'd love to hear from you if you are contemplating, if you thought about getting a genetic test, what did you decide and why? And if you did get the test, what has changed since you got the test? Uh, a lot of uh, times we're uh, wrapped up in the identity with the disease after testing. And, of course, there are many uh, interesting and sometimes painful dilemmas. Um, and the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Dr. Klitzman, hunting dis- disease is especially poignant uh, to me as I was reading about this. The test for this disease, or, or for the, I guess your predisposition for the disease, that's 100%, isn't it? So if you get tested, comes back positive, you're going to get the disease. It, it's just a matter of time. Yes, that's right, unfortunately. And uh, Woody Guthrie, uh, the famous singer-songwriter, unfortunately died of this disease. And his uh, son Arlo Guthrie, for instance, had to publicly sort of agonize over whether to get tested or not. Uh, as you say, if you have the, the this mutation, you will die of it if you don't die of anything else. And probably about the same age that your parent died of it, probably in your 40s or 50s. Uh, so, And it's a terrible disease. It's a brain disease. Uh, and uh, but we have the test, so we can tell people definitively when they're at any age uh, that you have this mutation or don't. And many people see it as a death sentence, uh, because if you have it, some people have committed suicide. They say, I just couldn't live with this, etc. Some people decide not to get married or not to have kids or to screen embryos to make sure they don't pass it on. Uh, and uh, so it's and the decision of whether to get tested or not is an excruciating one. Uh, and to lesser degree, we have mutations for Alzheimer's, for instance, that tell you if you have about a, a much increased risk of Alzheimer's, probably about a 20, 25% chance, so still not 100%. But again, some people just don't want to know. Some people say, yes, I want to know, so I'll put my life in order. With, with Huntington's, for instance, some people I interviewed for the book said, you know, if I, I want to get tested because if I have the mutation, I'm going to you know, not save all my money for a rainy day. I'm going to enjoy every moment. I'm going to become an artist, uh, you know, live in the South Pacific. Uh, and if I don't have the mutation, I'll be so relieved that uh, I'll just be eternally grateful. So I want to know. Other people, of course, say uh, this is just too frightening. I'm, 
uh, it, because I'm afraid if I may find out I do have it, and I would just be devastated. So these are very personal and very difficult decisions to make. That was interesting for me to read uh, this idea of relief. And I, I don't know, you know, it, it, if I were to contemplate that, I don't have a history of Huntington's disease or, for, for example, my family. Right. Uh, but I, I really don't know. But it was interesting to me to, to read about the people who did get the test and were relieved at least to know. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, I mean that they had it. Y- yeah, uh, yeah. Right. Well, it, in part, it's the uncertainty is very difficult to live with. Uh, if you know one way or another you could make plans for your life. You could say, I'm going to uh, just enjoy every moment. I'm not going to put my all my money away for a rainy day. If you don't have it, you will, uh, you know, uh, have kids and, quote, lead a normal life, unquote. Uh, but sort of not knowing, you don't know which to do. And for some, some people told me, you know, I tested because the uncertainty just got to be too much. The not knowing and I feeling parallels by the parallel paralyzed by that was just too painful in and of itself, uh, and these are very deep existential crises. That uh, you know, how much do we want this information? Uh, what we do with it, as you say, is and with breast cancer as well was quite uh, striking to many people and astonishing that Angelina Jolie would decide to have her breasts removed. Uh, she's perfectly healthy. Uh, she may never get breast cancer, but she said, you know, I saw that this has killed people in my family and I don't want to run the risk and I'll have surgery done uh, reconstructively. Uh, and that is a decision many people face. On the other hand, it's an excruciating decision because one is perfectly healthy right now and may never get sick. Uh, so in, in, uh, one is in many ways gambling uh, on what one thinks is going to happen. Um, we do know that uh, if you have a strong family history and you have a mutation, that the odds are quite high that you will get breast cancer. And so for many women, uh, that makes sense. Uh, other people think, uh, you know, I'm out of sight, out of mind. I'm perfectly healthy. Even if people in my family had it, I, I just don't want to know. I just want to live my life. Uh, so I think that preventive uh, behavior can be extremely helpful for the right people. And I was going to bring up Angelina Jolie directly. Uh, thank you for doing that. Um, because I I think we all have to get educated on genetics. We have to get educated even on statistics and probabilities. Uh, Angelina Jolie, in her op-ed piece, said she uh, her mother died in her 50s of, I think it was breast cancer. Uh, she said that she was told she faced an 87% chance of breast cancer, 51% chance of ovarian cancer. So, you know, you put it that way, the, 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 it seems pretty logical to do what she did. But I don't know, that 87% chance, 51% chance, you, you kind of have to understand statistics and probabilities along with genetic information. It's a, it's, it's a lot you have to grapple with. It. Yes. So the 87 is, uh, uh, I was surprised it seemed a little high. I don't know her whole family history. She may have had aunts, for instance. Uh, the more relatives you have, the more who have had breast cancer, the more the risk goes up. So, she, again, I, she may have had other relatives as well who had it, who she just didn't mention, and that will, would, of course, increase her risk. Uh, but there are questions if you have, let's just say, one family member who's had it, uh, your risk is... Uh, uh, increased, maybe 60%, um, et cetera. Uh, and it's hard because a lot of women have not yet had children and debate should they remove their ovaries, which means that they can't have children uh, in the future unless they freeze their eggs, uh, which in, it gets costly, et cetera. 
Uh, and of course, you know, to remove parts of your surgery, to parts of your uh, body, surgery is not entirely benign. I mean, the risks are low of complications, but they unfortunately do happen with any surgery that one is in. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, I, I really uh, salute her courage in both doing that and in going public about it, because I think that will encourage a lot of women at risk to do to, uh, to get tested and to do uh, preventive treatment, uh, which can be very helpful to them. Part of the problem is that there's a lot of stigma involved with genetics, genetic testing, mutations, and also with, uh, with breasts, with breast removal, with breast cancer, ovarian cancer. And I think the more public awareness of these issues, the better. Uh, as I said, there are also questions that come up because people can now screen embryos and people are saying, I don't want a child with breast cancer. I want you to screen the embryos and only choose the embryos that don't have the breast cancer mutation. Uh, many people think that's terrific. They're getting rid of genetic diseases from their descendants. Problem is it's uh, only with wealthy people who can do that. So poor people can't. And there may be a time in the future when certain diseases that now affect both rich and poor people may become predominantly diseases of poor people because wealthy people screened out those mutations. Uh, and uh, it may be in the future that the stigma go may go up. If you have uh, certain diseases, even Down syndrome, someone may say, well, you know, why didn't your parents screen that? And uh, why did they have you? They could have prevented uh, having a child with this disease. And, and that raises a number of uh, issues as well that are very complicated. Uh, so, uh, Again, we, we have these tremendous technologies that can do many good things, but we need to be careful and smart about how we use them and, and uh, educate ourselves about them as much as possible. You're listening to Access Utah. We're talking with Dr. Robert Klitzman. He is with the Columbia University Medical Center. His book from last year, very interesting, addresses many of the issues that uh, we're all probably going to have to face in the future. The book is Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. And new genetic tests are being developed uh, every day. Dr. Klitzman says the, the time is coming when uh, sequencing our entire genome and uh, you know, knowing just about everything that, uh, that the probabilities that might be down the road is becoming more and more affordable. It's down to about $1,000 now. Uh, so we're asking you, are, are you contemplating genetic testing? Have you ever contemplated that? When did you decide and why? And uh, if you have had a genetic test, uh, how did that change things, uh, especially emotionally for you? Uh, do you even want to know? And who should you tell? The number is 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. You could use an assumed name. We don't want to spread that information out there unduly. Upraxis at gmail.com or 1-800-826-1495. Uh, Dr. Klitzman, uh, following up on the uh, screening embryos, I'm sure you've heard uh, the argument, not only with this, but with other advances in medicine, that we should not be playing God. Yes. Uh, so it's a big question, and I think part of it comes down to uh, which diseases we should screen embryos for. So uh, there are certain conditions, uh, Tay-Sachs, for instance, that we could say that uh, this embryo, or even this fetus, uh, is going to have a deadly disease and the child won't live beyond two months or three months, let's say, or year. Uh, and let's say we say, well, here, we could, we're going to, a woman's undergoing in vitro fertilization. We have two embryos. One has this disease and the child won't live more than a month, and we know that, and the other one will be healthy. Which should we implant? 
Well, a lot of people think that's okay. I mean, I think to say, okay, well, there's a terrible disease. The kid's not going to live beyond a month. You know, we, we're going to plant just one. Let's choose which one. Uh, it gets more complicated uh, when uh, it's something like breast cancer, for instance. So we say, well, this embryo is a breast cancer mutation, but it, it you know, may never affect the person. It gives you a 50% chance of having breast cancer, and the person won't get breast cancer until they're in their 40s, say. Uh, well, should we be screening for that? That obviously is a little more of a gray area because some people say, well, you know, the kid may it's not going to may, ne- may never affect the kid, maybe not in fact not infect the kid till the kid's forty, et cetera. Uh, so that gets a little grayer, uh, let alone other things. And people have suggested that as soon as there is a gene associated with, say, blonde hair, blue eyes, people may say, or or athleticism or intelligence, people may say, well. I don't want the. I want the only the. I want just want the embryo that has the blonde hair, blue eye gene, uh, and that gets us towards eugenics. If, and uh, many people are concerned about that, understandably. Uh, questions also come up that are very controversial. What if we find that a fetus has various mutations? So if we find that a fetus has a mutation uh, that, let's say, that the fetus won't live beyond one month, uh, many people say, well, that's fine to abort the fetus. Uh, People may be against abortion for any reason, but there there are people who feel well if there are certain legitimate reasons, and they may say that is a legitimate reason. Uh, but again, we get into uh, uh, gray areas with other kinds of diseases that are less definitive. And I should say another issue is that we now have tests where if, if a woman's pregnant, we can just take blood from her arm and uh, – we could uh, see, we could figure out what the genes of the fetus are. So simply by taking the mother's blood from her arm, we could say, oh, the fetus has this disease or that disease genetically. We're talking with Dr. Robert Klitzman on the program today. Uh, His book is Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. And we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to uh, appeal directly to Dr. Klitzman's expertise and experience on this and address directly the question, if you're contemplating getting genetic testings, testing, what specific things should you think about that may help us out with this? Because uh, I think uh, we're going to be facing these questions as more and more genetic tests come online. Also, we're going to talk about who owns genetic information. There's an interesting case from Mary Genetics, which is a Utah company at the Supreme Court. Supreme Court's going to rule on that. Uh, can a company own genetic information? What are the implications there? We're back after a break. Waste not. Leaking toilets are the number one cause for high water bills. You can place a few drops of food coloring into your tank to check for leaks. If the food coloring appears in the bowl without flushing, you have a small leak. Waste not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. The beginning of the summer season is just around the corner. You've got places to go, people to see, fun things to do. Utah Public Radio's 60th anniversary auction can help you plan your recreation and entertainment. The auction is now open with more than 400 items worth $50,000. And you'll probably find something that you'd like to bid on at upr.org, upr.org. Most auction items are donated and support Utah Public Radio. It's the Utah Public Radio 60th Anniversary Auction, now open at upr.org, upr.org. 
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Dr. Robert Klitzman is with us. He's uh, with Columbia University Medical Center. He's a professor of clinical psychiatry there, director of the Masters of Bioethics program. His book is Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. This definitely is the age of genetic testing. More and more genetic tests come online, and that uh, prompts the question, should I get tested? And so that's where I'd like to start this segment. In fact, we have uh, an email which uh, gets us into that point. Uh, This is Greg in Logan. I've definitely thought about testing, he said. My family has a lot of history for many common diseases. Do people ever not get tested because they're afraid to know or they just want to let their life be what it is? And what steps need to be taken if I have the gene for prostate cancer? Well, those are all great questions. Many people are afraid of knowing, uh, and I think a certain imp- an important criteria, and it's, uh, one can talk to one's doctor about this and stuff online as well, is how, uh, for many people the question is how medically actionable is the information? In other words, if there is a gene that I find that I have and there's something I can do about it to help my health or my children's health, then it's worth doing. Uh, and many people say that would include uh, also things being personally actionable. If I know that I, you know, have something that's going to kill me at age 30, I may make certain decisions in my life, for instance. Uh, So uh, many people are afraid, but I think that's one helpful rubric uh, in overcoming that. Uh, With prostate cancer, my understanding is that we don't at the moment have a good genetic test for it. So uh, people at risk should definitely talk to their doctor, and and one could monitor uh, the possible development of prostate cancer. But uh, unlike for breast cancer, where we happen to have a good test, which was developed largely in Utah, um, as you mentioned uh, uh, right before the break, uh, for prostate cancer at the moment, we don't. And uh, so maybe tell us a few more uh, tips. If I'm contemplating getting a genetic test, uh, how would, and I'm meeting with you as, as a doctor, what, what would you tell me, some of the pros and cons? How, help me make this decision. Right. So I think the issue is uh, why one wants a genetic test. And from a doctor's point of view, and I, I should say that, unfortunately, doctors, genetic testing is all new, and a lot of doctors don't know much about it either at this point. Uh, and it's changing literally every week. But the key question is, uh, what are the conditions we want to test you for? Uh, And is there a genetic test that would help us in uh, figuring out how best to treat you? So similarly, in the book, I described a disease called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, or alpha-1, which is an enzyme deficiency uh, that affects people of northern European descent, particularly Scandinavia. Uh, But there are thousands of people in the United States who have it and don't know. Uh, And the symptoms are shortness of breath. And sort of like emphysema. And what patients tell me is that they would go to various doctors short of breath, and the doctor would say, well, you probably must have been a smoker or around pollution. And the person would go, well, I never really smoked, or, well, I smoked like for a year when I was a teenager. And they'd say, well, that must be it. And they would go to doctor after doctor, and then finally one doctor would say, you know, well, maybe you have this odd, rare disease called alpha-1 for which there's treatment. And they would test, they would find out they're positive, and they would start treatment, and they'd feel better. So for certain conditions, genetics can be a lifesaver, literally. And uh, so the key thing is to talk to your doctor, what if you, uh, particularly if you have certain conditions uh, about, uh, or certain symptoms, you know, what might there be a genetic test that might be helpful? Uh, 
uh, and for you and your doctor to think about that. Uh, and if you decide that there is a test, uh, it's useful and important to talk to a genetic counselor uh, who will address issues like, well, what would this mean for your kids? Uh, who are you going to tell? Uh, you know, for certain conditions, it's not, as, as we spoke, 100% sure that you'll get the disease. There may be some discrimination. Uh, basically, a genetic counselor can help you think through all the complicated issues involved. Uh, but that would be basically what, what one would do. Uh, nowadays, I believe, you can, you can get a genetic test through the mail, can't you? Yeah. So the another issue is, thank you for raising that, there's also direct-to-consumer marketing of genetic tests. Uh, so there's a comp- there are several companies. One is called 23andMe, for instance, which was founded by the wife of one of the founders of Google. Uh, they have a lot of money, and I, I, I understand they had a genetic disease in their family, I believe. Uh, and uh, what is involved is you take a uh, uh, basically a tooth, a, um, like a tongue depress, you wipe the inside of your mouth, uh, the inside of your cheek, you send it in, and they will give you certain genetic information. Now, that has been questioned because many people say that for some of these companies, the quality of the testing is not very good. It's not very predictive. Uh, it's not very reliable. Uh, it uh, may alarm people more than it answers questions. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, they give you lots of information that says you have a you know, 20% chance, increased chance of this or that, but not very definitive. It's not very helpful for a lot of people. So I think that uh, my own personal recommendation is if you're interested is uh, to talk to your doctor about it. And I think that at the moment, at least, the direct-to-consumer marketing of tests uh, is not the best way to go for many, many patients. And I think uh, one of the big factors, I think if I were to get uh, tested, I'd, I'd want to sit down with a genetic counselor. Th- this is, reading your book especially, brought this in bold relief that these dilemmas and these issues that's raised by genetic uh, testing, there's a lot to work through, even emotionally. Yes, this. exactly right. And there's also a lot, is there are variation, variants that we don't know what they mean yet uh, in genes. Increasingly, we're finding that... Uh, we all have random mutations. Uh, that's uh, the way we evolve from, or many of us think the way we evolve from other species is that mutations were made and some made our brains bigger and some made us, uh, you know, walk upright, etc. cetera. Uh, and so mutations could be good, but they can also be, prob- be problematic. But, but certainly there are many, many questions to consider, particularly for these are serious diseases. It's not something to take lightly. You talk about, you have a whole chapter on genetic identity. This is very interesting to me. And one particular woman named Bonnie, this was very interesting. She, had, she said, she acknowledged, she says, genes make me who I am. And she goes on to say, the fact that she's untested makes it easier for her to accept the role of genes in her life and not feel fatalistic about that notion. Yes. Well, so it's a very, these are, very, again, very difficult questions. Do you feel fatalistic? In other words, how much are we, in fact, our genes? Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, if you have Huntington's disease and it's going to kill you, that those are very powerful genes. And clearly, we wouldn't be who we are if not for our genes. I mean, we resemble our parents, certainly physically, if not emotionally in many instances in various ways. Uh, there are lots of traits we get. Um, and uh, uh, But many of us would argue there are things, other things in our environment that still affect us. But... Uh, these are big questions. And again and again, I saw how genes operate almost as a Rorschach test. So where some doctors see genetic tests 
as equivalent to a pregnancy test that tells you are you pregnant or not, yes, no, it's black and white. In fact, for many of these conditions, uh, uh, because the genetics is iffy uh, or uncertain or not fully predictive, uh, people look and say for themselves whether the glass is half full or half empty, whether given certain genes, uh, that means that their disease is genetic. Some people say, well, you know, I was always such a big environmentalist that it's hard for me to accept that I have breast cancer because I have this mutation, or in large parts I have this mutation. Uh, other people say, uh, one woman I interviewed said, you know, I'm from New Orleans, and everyone I know in New Orleans has cancer, so it must be something they put in the water. Uh, but one's belief about that can affect many other things. So if you believe that your cancer is from the water and not from genes, you may not go for genetic testing. You may not do certain things preventively. Uh, you may not tell other people in your family because it's just something with you. It's the water you drank. On the other hand, if it's something genetic, you may be more inclined to tell other family members, Gee, you know, I found I have this weird mutation. Maybe you're at risk. And in fact, people face a lot of questions how much to uh, tell extended family members. Uh, some people say, you know, I got this email from some long-lost relative in Texas saying, you know, I found I have this weird gene and maybe I have it and I got tested and sure enough I have it and I started treatment. Uh, so uh, we normally are not that close to extended relatives, many of us in many ways, but we're linked genetically and that may again give us uh, more responsibility than we've had before towards them. We're talking with Dr. Robert Klitzman from uh, Columbia University. Uh, his book is Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You're invited to participate in the program, or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, one woman, I can't remember her name, uh, very interesting, she said... I am not my breast cancer. She said that, I, you know, I'll describe myself as a carrier of BRCA1, but uh, I'm not my, my breast cancer. I'm not, I'm not this genetic uh, predisposition. The other end of this, you describe patients with alpha. They often call themselves alphas. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, interesting with alpha, I think part because there is good treatment, people are quite proud to be alphas. <laughs> And they have, I should say, the other uh, uh, interesting thing these days is uh, because genetics, the diseases for which there are definitive te genetic tests tend to be relatively rare, they still affect, can affect millions of people, but they're rare overall, uh, there are online support groups where people now find each other online and form support groups uh, that, uh, and so consider themselves to be part of a group. Uh, so these are uh, interesting questions to me, which I had not thought I would find, the degree to which one thinks that one's mutations make oneself or influence oneself. Some people I interviewed said, you know, I always knew that I was a freak of nature or a mutant. Uh, and those tended to be people who had some major trauma in their lives. They had had chronic depression or had been abused as kids. Uh, and they said, you know, I always knew there was something wrong with this, my, the, my body, the stuff of me, and this must be it. Um, so again, how we each come to this, whereas doctors may see it as black or white. In fact, what I found is that we each have the story of our lives, or the stories of our lives, and we then need to fit this into the stories of our lives. And at times it leads to a new chapter or rewriting the story of our lives in some ways or changing the story of our lives. Uh, uh, and uh, but the how we integrate this information into our lives uh, is quite complicated and uh, 
I think some I think genetic counseling and talking to your doctors can help you integrate it uh, better than you might otherwise have done. Uh, but again, these are very complicated issues getting into really who we are as people. Uh, there are obviously longer running debates about uh, nature versus nurture and free will versus determinism. Many people think everything's determined. Other people think that we have free will. Uh, there are uh, actually uh, uh, there's a, a, a Hindi myth that uh, we have so many arrows in our quiver, uh, and where we shoot the arrows is up to us. But we only have so many. In other words, there's a certain amount of free will we have, but a certain amount is set for force. And for some diseases, that is the case. Other diseases, as I said, uh, as Angelina Jolie wrote, uh, she had an 87% chance of getting cancer from this mutation. So it's quite predictive in that way. And this is one of the part of the subtitle, Confronting Fate. Uh, this is fate. It's life and death. So that must be very interesting as, as a doctor counseling some of these patients they're grappling with very big issues. Yes, that, that is correct. And uh, fate's a complicated thing. I mean, for some people, this is, it gets very metaphysical and very religious. So people will say, well, I know that I have the mutation, I have the disease, breast cancer, whatever, because I have a mutation. But why do I have a mutation? Why is it that I got it and my brother didn't, or my brother got it and I didn't? Is it just a flip of the coin? And the notion that it's random, a flip of the coin, is very hard for people to accept. People want a larger reason. For some people say this, you know, this, you know, God wouldn't give me something I couldn't handle. This must be God's will. Other people say, no, it's just a flip of the coin in the genes. Uh, obviously, these are bigger issues than we're going to answer today here. Uh, and people have different beliefs. But that's the point, is that people do have different ways of understanding these great unknowns. And I think that, uh, as I described in the book, this can put us in touch with these larger questions that all of us deal with on some level of, of how much uh, of our lives is controlled, how much is due simply to chance. Uh, and uh, with what genetics is telling us is, uh, for some people, that these things are due to genes. But is that totally chance, or is there some larger meaning or purpose or implication or fate involved in what that means? And my sense is that everyone had a, a sense of fate as a, as a belief somehow, and uh, even people who weren't uh, very religious said, you know, when I blow out a birthday candle, uh, I make a wish. Uh, so people have lots of superstitions and beliefs, uh, some affiliated with strong religions, some not. But these issues come into play here as people try to make sense of this information that they have or may get. We do have a caller, Denise, who's uh, traveling through Utah. Denise, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Hi. Um, I was just saying that I, for Christmas I received the uh, gift of 23andMe, and during that um, test they discovered that I had a gene that have, had I married uh, someone who had the same gene, I had a high percentage of my child, some of my children or however many, but um, they would have some kind of mental retardation or deformity, some, something like that. And I really wished at that time that I had more information because you want to pass that on to your own children so that they'll, you know, they'll be able to make that decision for themselves, too, whether to get tested or not tested, whether they have that gene, whether their partner has that gene. But there's nothing out there. I can't find, like, a book or something that where I can look up what that particular um, gene does. 
um, or how much of that would be passed on to your children? What's the percentage for them? Is there something out there that gives me more information that... Yeah, well, I can search. Well, I would I would contact a 23andMe because they should have information on it. Uh, many of us are carriers for conditions, uh, and uh, what that means is that it does nothing unless you have a child with someone who's also a carrier, uh, and it depends on the disease. But in that case, uh, it could be sometimes only a quarter of your children may have the disease. Uh, and the others are carriers, for instance. So it, it's a, the statistics are a little bit complicated. Uh, but I would uh, – the best thing would be 23andMe should be able to direct you to information about that. Uh, and that is, as I said, sort of uh, 23andMe can give you information. It's not always clear what to do with it. So it's, it could be helpful for some people or scary for a lot of others. Yeah, I informed my children, and they certainly did not respond. <laughs> yes. I don't think they wanted to know. Yes, well, that's another issue, and I think that uh, with that, I would say that uh, when your children are, uh, again, it's complicated on the phone to give thoughts, but I mean, one possibility that I I would, they should talk to their doctors about it, Uh, and uh, certainly if they're at the point of wanting to have children themselves, uh, they should talk to uh, the the, uh, obstetrician gynecologist who the woman uh, in in the couple is seeing and just present this information and it could be retested uh, uh, and see if it's correct and if case in, in which case uh, uh, you know the OBGYN could help them figure out uh, you know what they want to do and uh, Denise so well, well we're, we're out of time for the program so good good luck thank okay. you for the call All right. thank you very appreciate much. very very yes, interesting situation there uh, Dr. Robert Klitzman has been our guest. Uh, he is professor of psychiatry, clinical psychiatry, director of the Masters of Bioethics program, co-founder of the Center for Bioethics at Columbia University Medical Center. His uh, book, uh, published last year, very interesting book, Am I My Genes? Confronting Fate and Family Secrets in the Age of Genetic Testing. And if you'd like to continue to respond to this issue, you could certainly do so on Facebook at upraxis at gmail.com as well. Dr. Klitzman, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. And tomorrow, we are going to revisit a conversation from earlier this year with uh, Jeopardy! champion Ken Jennings. That's tomorrow on the program. And uh, for producers Haley Housley and Addison Pace, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU-FM HD191.5, Logan.